celebrating today the greatest gift that has ever happened, ever come, the most valuable thing that a person can, can have in their life. Have you ever had something that you, um, you, you, you didn't value very much, but then you either lost it or, or there was um, something that awakened you to the value of it that you never, you know, all of a sudden you realize that you have something of value? Recently, someone I know had found a coin that they had was more valuable than, than they originally thought, and all of a sudden that became important to them. Or maybe you've lost your health, right, Gerald? And, uh, and all of a sudden you, you know, realize what value being healthy was, and, and then when you get it back, you, you see it and you value it so much more because of that. And those, those are the kinds of things. My, uh, years ago... My wife received a gift from someone. In fact, someone had come up to her. We didn't know that person very well, but they came up and had an envelope and handed it to, to Carol and gave it to her and said, this is a gift I want you to have. I believe I'm supposed to give it to you. And so uh, Carol opened it up, and it was costume jewelry. It was, uh, it was a cross. It looked like it was pretty old and had been around uh, the, the block a few times, and so Carol, you know, we took it home, and she uh, normally it would be something that you wouldn't keep even, and uh, she was going to throw it away, but then she, you know, and she thought, you know, this lady gave it out of her heart, I'll keep it for a while, and then, because, I mean, if she comes up and asks, hey, did you like my gift, um, it's kind of hard to go, well, I threw it away. So, um, so she kept it, and several years passed, and um, and so, anyhow, she was going through stuff, cleaning things out, and she came across it again. And she thought, I'm going to throw this out, you know. And then she just didn't, and she kept it and a little bit longer. And then uh, finally, she was talking to her mom about it. And she, uh, w- well, not about it, but about things she had, and she was throwing around. And she was getting ready to throw it out. And her mom said, well, you shouldn't get that ch- checked. She says, no, mom, it's costume jewelry. And she said, you should get it checked. So Carol was getting one of her rings cleaned at the, at the jeweler, and she decided, I'll take it and just, you know, see if they say, say there's anything to it. And she takes it, and she finds out that it's two carats of diamonds, and it's totally gold. And she more than once was getting ready to toss it and then realize that it had value. Um, there is something that is more valuable that the writer of Hebrews brings to our attention. That is the most valuable thing that often times in our life we downplay it. We don't see it at the value or at the stage or uh, the importance that it really is and, uh, and should be in our life. And that is our salvation. What is more important to you than being saved, salvation. If you're a Christian, that is at the top of the list. Of course, it's it, it, because of your relationship with Christ and because of what he did and because of that gift that he gave you, but that is so important in our life, our salvation. And yet, the fact is, not we don't always keep it at the, at the place that it should be in the things that we value. Oftentimes, we place other things there in our life. And the writer of Hebrews 
kind of gives us a warning and, and brings us back to a place of, let's look back at this incredible gift, this incredible thing that God has given to us. Let's revisit that in our life. And let's be careful. And so he gives us a caution as well. Now, last week, we started in the study of the book of Hebrews. And the first thing, that the, the first chapter is about, we just, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In fact, this whole book is about Jesus. Jesus is the forefront. We, we, we just say Jesus is better. That's what this is about. Jesus is better. He's better than everything. He's better than anything. He's better than the old covenant, especially as he's talking to the Hebrews. It's, it's named Hebrews is because it's written to the Hebrews. So when we understand who he's writing to and why he's writing it, it makes a lot more sense to us. He's writing to the Jews who were the first to, to come into the kingdom or the first to, to accept Christ as their Savior. Um, this promise of salvation was promised in the Old Testament. The, the writings that the Jews valued as the word of God, and it is, that the Old Testament is God's word. They valued it, and it was given to them in a covenant fashion. So they had a covenant given to them by God. And that covenant was what the Bible calls the, the first covenant. And that first covenant had a means by which a person could have their sins covered. They could have a, a relationship with God. They would be blessed by God and honored. God would co cover them. And uh, they could know what God desires and dreams for their life. All of that was in that first covenant. But the first covenant promised something better. It promised a second covenant or the last covenant. It, it promised another covenant that would be better than the one that they had. And it would be, it would be brought on, on better promises and better things. And it would come through the person they were looking for as the Messiah, the Christ, as they would be looking forward to the Christ, and the Christ would bring in this new covenant. So th that was there, but oftentimes forgotten that that promise was given. Um, oftentimes it would looked at from an improper angle, and they would miss what God was fully saying. Now, the book of the, the writer of Hebrews is bringing the Hebrews back because many of these Hebrews have come to, come to Christ. But when they came to Christ, they didn't anticipate the amount of persecution they would face. They thought, you know, they, they, they knew that Christ was real. They know, knew about the resurrection, especially those in Jerusalem. Many of them saw the resurrected Christ even before they got saved because he walked the streets for 40 days after his resurrection. So he, um, I mean, he... He was known. There was a, a real confidence. They had seen miracles. They had heard the stories. All of that. Eyewitnesses. They had all of that. But they didn't anticipate that when they would come to Christ or, or, or accept the salvation that God offers, that there would be this great persecution. We're not talking about some people, you know, um, just... Uh, uh, giving you a hard time on Facebook, you know. Um, we're talking about imprisonment and death, disownership from their families. They would, they would oftentimes just be completely uh, counted as dead when they came to, to, to faith in Christ. 
So those who didn't have a good, solid foundation were subject to sliding back. Uh, many of them, in fact, got to the place that they would fully denounce Jesus simply to, to you know, kind of come back into the fold. Others were tempted to compromise. So they would, you know, they would have, be with the, the Christians and then they would sacrifice their, do their animal sacrifices and so forth as they would go back to the old covenant ways. And that meant they weren't really trusting Christ for their salvation, that he wasn't in fact the Lamb of God who takes away their sins. So all of that was happening in, at this point when the writer of Hebrews is in fact talking and to us, in fact talking to them, and, and warning them of the danger of what, what is coming. So we pick it up, chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, therefore. Now he's saying therefore because in the first chapter, it talks about Jesus being above everything. He is the almighty God. He is, he is, the, he is the owner of all things. We see that in that first chapter, that he is in fact, he, he's in fact the redeemer and the savior, and there is nothing greater, no one more powerful than Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So he says, what we have to do is we have to listen better. We have to take heed more to the truth that God has given us. Now, why is that? Because it is human nature that if you don't, if you don't revisit the value of what you have, you'll tend to forget its value. In fact, you'll get away from it. We do that in so many of the things that we have in our life. You know, we value something. Sometimes we value a person, a spouse maybe, you know, and, and then, but over time, sometimes if we don't revisit the importance of that person or importance of that thing, we devalue it over time. We devalue our salvation. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us we need to value, we need to take more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Now the things they have heard were the things that the disciples taught them. And they had the word of God spoken to them and they saw the miracles and, and they, were, they at first heard the truth of the gospel. But then over time, people start to kind of get used to things. You know, you can do that. You can do that with the Word of God. I mean, how many of you, I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of you have read the book of Hebrews over and over and over again? If you're not new to your, your faith, um, that's something you probably have done, and you know this, the portions of Scripture. In fact, whenever anybody teaches, oftentimes there's that section of Scripture. And the person that learns to truly take heed, and you can, you can take heed with um, and, and observe with intention, you know, intentionality with the word of God if you so choose and you so plan to do so. Um, I, I, you, if you open my, my wife's Bible, what you'll find is just scopious notes, just notes. And what she does is um, Carol has been listening to me speak, well, for 44 years. 45 years. And many of those times, um, she would, she listens like on a Sunday morning, 
uh, two uh, at times when we had three, three services or times we've had four services um, at times. She would hear the same message two, three, or four times. And I've seen her, like after she's heard my message, the next time she hears it, she's still taking notes. And no, she's not writing notes to somebody else. She's writing in her Bible. And, and the reason is that she, uh, she automatically comes with an anticipation that God's going to speak and she needs to hear what God is saying. Now that takes a discipline. I would hate to listen to myself more than once, you know, even a month. So, um, but she gets to do that. She, she takes heed and, and listen, she, she, she does it because she values God's word and she believes even when her husband speaks from the pulpit, God will use him and the Holy Spirit will speak through him. She doesn't say the same thing at home. I mean, she, she definitely listens more when I'm speaking than when I talk at home. But the point is she anticipates God in that way. And that's, that way she has stayed fresh. The fact is she grew up in a pastor's home and she listened to her dad in that same way until we, we were married and, and I was pastoring. So she has this consistency throughout her life as being one who wants to hear what God is saying, one who is trying to learn the, 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 what uh, God is speaking to and valuing the word of God in her life. We need to all do that. We need to take and, and anticipate and be prepared to receive what God is saying and remember what God is saying. He's God wants to speak to our lives. And so he says, take, be earnest heed, take heed earnestly to these things that you've heard, lest we drift away, unless we drift away. You know, some people don't lose their faith like overnight. No one kind of like, you know, all of a sudden the next day, they're, they're, they're believing the next day, they go, you know, I don't believe anymore. That doesn't happen. People, you know, don't send their kid off to college and, and all of a sudden their kid comes home from college and says, I don't believe anymore. That didn't start the day they went to college. That, start, that drifting started sooner. That's what happens. It's a process. It's a slow process of drifting where you start to lose the value of the things that God has given to us that are so incredibly special and, and powerful. What is more valuable than God's word? And what is more valuable than your salvation? And we, we, we have to take heed to that which is most valuable, lest we drift. Drifting is a, is a natural way. In fact, we drift because there is constantly an opposition to our faith. Where the world is in opposition to us. And 24 hours a day, the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, is working against us, trying to undermine our faith. The world system, the world belief system, is oftentimes, when it, it, it is not oftentimes, it is always working against our faith. And so you have to keep coming back to the truth, else you will drift. You know, um, for the many years that I was surfing, I, uh, the, the one thing you do when you go surfing, it's automatic. You don't even think about it. But you'll, when you go out, you'll line yourself up with a specific thing. Like it might be a, you know, a, 
uh, a tower, it might be a, a home that's on, on the shore, it might be anything. It might be an umbrella that somebody's stuck in. You hope they don't take it away before you're done surfing. But you'll pick, you know, you'll, you'll pick a spot because what happens is if, uh, it, you, you can easily drift. Drifting is, is kind of what happens. You, you'll drift. And sometimes the current is faster than others. And there are times you get out there, and by the time you get out, you're already away from the line that you, got, you were looking at. And so you're always, you're always kind of, if, if, if there's a strong current, you're always kind of paddling just slowly to, and to stay in front of that area. Because if you don't, and you just surf and you do all you want, pretty soon you've got a couple mile walk before you're going to get back to where you, you know, your car is or wherever your original place was. That happens. And, and that drifting, if, you're, if you don't, aren't aware of it, you don't even know what's happening. I, I'll never forget, I was, um, I was early, I was a young teenager surfing, and, and uh, I'd gone, I was in the water, and I looked out, and there was somebody way, way out. And they were waving their hands, you know, like frantically, like, oh. And uh, it was winter, and there's nobody, no, no, uh, nobody in the towers, and so the lifeguards weren't there. So I just decided, okay, I'll try to help out. And I paddled out. And it was a long paddle. And I finally got to them because they kept going. And it was this teenage girl who was on a surfboard didn't know that she had originally was, was drifting. And she didn't know that, you know, it was, it was a riptide that had taken her out. And I finally got to her. And she was so exhausted, all she could do was hold on to my ankle. And she had been trying to swim in. And, of course, you don't do that on a riptide. You swim sideways and then come back in. But um, by the time I got her back in, I couldn't do anything else. I was totally done. And she had not known that she was drifting until all of a sudden she turned around and she looked and saw how far she was from, from shore. And she panicked. And then she was doing everything she could to scratch to get back in. But of course, she was too exhausted by then. She'd gotten too far away. Sometimes that's what happens to our faith. Sometimes we drift and we don't realize that we've gotten weaker and weaker. We don't really even panic sometimes because we just are where we are. And we think we're okay. But the fact is we've gotten way away from safety. And uh, the enemy is easily then then snatches people's faith because all it takes at that point is a little bit of a problem. Uh, oftentimes it's just a little trial that people will go, they, their faith isn't strong enough to take them through that difficult time, the difficult time in their life. And they have simply drifted away from their faith by not paying attention. And so you, you, the, the writer here is saying, you need to take heed to the things you've learned. You need to keep coming back to the truth of God's word. God's word tells us, what, what did they preach? Well, they preached there is a holy God. That God is not, you know, he's not uh, Santa Claus. He's not, he's not uh, a candy man. He's, he's a holy, almighty God of the universe. That, that he speak, he spoke the universe into existence. That he, he, is, he is fully engaged and knowledgeable. He knows everything everything. If a hair falls off your head, he knows it. He knows detail of everything of your life. He is a holy and pure God in every way, just in all of his doings. We also were, were taught by the disciples that we have fallen short. 
that every human being falls short, that we have a sin nature, that in fact the problem is there is unrighteousness in all of us. And if all of us were to stand before a holy God in whatever, in, in, in the level of, you know, what we would consider good or, or righteous, we would fail. We would stand before God. None of us want to stand before God and try to build a case for why God would accept us into his kingdom. All on a, we, we would all fail in that attempt. You know, I walked this little old lady across the street. Lord, you know, I did a good thing. And, you know, I helped some people. I, I threw some money in the offering plate. Or I gave, you know, I, I, I gave online to, to some needy organization. You give kind of your list of good things. And what stands before you is every evil thought, every, every um, selfish ambition, every, every time you have, in fact, pursued something that is totally contrary to God's will in, in life. Every time you've sinned, the numbers are too great. Too great. Even if you were Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, you know, Mother Teresa said, said there was no way she would stand before a holy God without Jesus. She did some pretty good, nice things for people. We all fall short. That's what we've been taught. And because of that, that we've been taught God loved you enough to pay for your shortcomings himself. What a love is that? That, that God loved you is enough. That's a whole message. That he paid for our shortcomings is a whole message. And if you put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ, that you will be saved. It will be applied to your life, his, his life. And instead of standing before God and trying to give an account for your life before God, Jesus becomes your account. He, he becomes the replacement. That's what salvation is. Jesus, our replacement. Now, you all know that, don't you? Most of you do. That's not new. It's not something that you've not heard before. You might be, have heard it a hundred times. You might be going, Rick, okay, what's new? I can tell you this. That is the most important and valuable thing you'll ever own. You, you own your salvation. What a valuable gift that is from God. Folks, we need to revisit that simple valuable gift that we never kind of look at it as something that's that that's just common it isn't common it's the greatest gift that's ever been given and you have that gift and you get to enjoy that gift you get to that gift helps you through life knowing that truth that that truth completely changes the direction of your life forever forever and you think of the fact that because of that gift, you, you never have to worry about anything. I mean, I'm saying you won't. I, I won't say I won't at times. I worry at times. I don't have to. I never have to worry. I'm saved. No, no matter what happens on this temporary place, I don't have to live on this temporary place forever. 
I have an eternal place with God, eternal home. I, I, I get to know for a fact that I'm on my way to heaven. Now here's the thing. This is what we do, and this is why we get sidetracked in some ways. The message of the gospel is bigger than just redemption. It's bigger than, than just um, God's rescuing us from hell. It's bigger than that. It also includes life on earth. And there's some good things. The Bible is real clear. You know, he came to bring life and that life more abundant. I believe in all that. I believe that God, that, that your best life is with Jesus. No matter who you are, your very best life is with Jesus. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be challenges and that doesn't mean there aren't going to be trials in your life. But your be- very best life is a life with Jesus. And in that best life with Jesus, God does good things. You have blessing that comes upon you because of that blessed life. God wants to bless your life in many, many different ways. Relationally, even, 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 um, even the, the promises even of financial blessing. I know that's going to freak some people out. Oh, Rick, are you like saying we're all going to get rid? No, I'm not. But, but God offers principles in his word that if you obey them, there are things that happen better in your life. And, and that life is a great life. And we preach that. And it's taught. But too much, too much of our emphasis of what's great in life or great about being a Christian is what happens on earth. It's the present. And, and those are good things. I'm not downplaying it. But I'm just saying Nothing of God's of, of value that happens to you on earth can compare to your salvation, your, your eternal salvation. Nothing compares to that. And so you thank God every morning you get up and you say like the psalms, psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's, that's good and, and, and we ought to have that. But life, when it doesn't go and it isn't all rejoicing, and there isn't. It, there are seasons where there are major challenges and difficulties in your life. I'm on my way to heaven. This is not my permanent home. I need to be reminded of that. I need to value it because there are a lot of people in this world who don't know that. They can't, they don't have that. And they have not chosen. You see, he says this, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and very, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Now he's taking them back to look at the old covenant. Um, angels brought the law to Moses. God made the tablets, the angels brought them. We know that from Deuteronomy. So he says, you know that covenant that the angels brought? Well, every transgression and disobedience, well, that, that, there was a just reward. In other words, people got from disobeying God's, God's covenant, there were consequences. And it was sure. And so the, the, uh, the fact is that there are the nation of Israel lived under that covenant and when they disobeyed God, there was consequences. But also when they obeyed God, they were blessed. They were the most blessed nation in the world when they were following after God's covenant. 
But what you know is that God's covenant was, is sure. That what he says actually happened the way it happened. And you can see it. You can read about it. They lived it. Now he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If that was, now we have, we have another covenant now. We have, the, we have a great salvation. Now listen, if you have a great salvation, would you turn to somebody and say, I have a great salvation. Um, uh, it's the best. It's amazing. I have this most amazing gift, this salvation that God has given but he tells us that two things happen. One is reject and the other is neglect. Some will reject the salvation that God has given. There are people now who are rejecting. There are people you know. There might be people right here in the sound of, of uh, my voice and listening, uh, watching online that are right now, you have ne- you've not just neglected, you've rejected. And whatever, for whatever reason, you've rejected People reject for many different reasons. But the answer or the truth of God's message is out there. The Bible says that no one is without, uh, no one is able to give an excuse for rejecting. And even when you start to think of the fact that there are people who have never heard the gospel and you go, well, what happened to them? What about people? And you hear this argument come. What about people who've never heard the gospel before? What about them? What, will they face the consequences of not having Christ? Romans chapter 1 actually gives us the answer to that. It tells us that every human being that walks on this planet, if they've come to the age of accountability, no one gives the age of that, but I think it has to do with uh, uh, an ability, a, a, a cognitive ability that a person has that God holds accountable for their actions. That every person that comes to that has, in fact, seen that God is real in creation. That you have to make a choice. When, when, when the universe was formed, can anyone say they, have, they can use the scientific method to prove whether it, it happened by, by chance or it happened by God? No one can, not even a Christian. A Christian can't say, no, we, we know using the scientific method, but neither can an atheist say, we know by the scientific method that we can prove that it happened by chance because no one was there. But what we do have is we have, in fact, all creation that keeps, um, it, it keeps us thinking and realizing, I mean, when we're honest with ourselves, that something greater than us created all this. I've been, I've been doing some intense study on the brain. Just, I, I get on these kicks and I try to get every book I can and I read about it and study it. And, and just by studying just that alone, I don't have to go very much further. You just study that and you go, there is no way. This was accident. The intricacies of even the single cell, and we talked about this last week. You have to have so much faith, so much faith to believe that it was an accident. And most of us don't have that much faith. We can just have a little bit less faith, and we believe that God created it. 
because it more, makes more sense. But let's, let's you know, go beyond that and just say that we have a responsibility and God will make it all happen as he chooses. We can trust God that he will be just in all of his ways. So we don't have to judge him in advance of what he's doing. We can just say this, you need Christ and if you don't have him, you have to stand before him in your, in your sin and you will never be righteous enough to stand before a holy God and enter his kingdom. So, we were saved by a great Savior. We were saved at a great cost. And we were saved from a great penalty. That's a great salvation. It says, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now this might be a, a little insight for those of you who, are, who had all interest in this. This might be an insight that shows us Paul was not the author of the book. Because no one really knows who the author is. But because he uses those words the way he uses them, this first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard. Paul in all of his epistles always identified as the ones who, who heard the Lord directly. Had saw the risen Christ. That's why many, also because his name is not on the, on the book itself, where all the other epistles that he wrote, his name is on it. So this is a good reason that people don't, and whether you care or not, is not important. Now verse 4 says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will, for he has not put the world to come of which he, we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little, a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hand. Now see that scripture? That is a quote from Psalms 8. In other words, he's quoting the Old Testament. That's what the writer of Hebrews does because who's he writing to? Hebrews. So he goes to the Old Testament and what does he pick out? He picks out the, the Psalm of David where David says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Let, him? let that sink in because he was contemplating why in the world would a holy almighty God even consider us? If I see an ant walking in, you know, in the path, across the path in front of me, I either step on them, I don't step on them, I don't even care. I'm not mindful of the ant. I don't go down and say, how are you doing, little ant? You're just, you know, I hope you're okay, I don't care. Actually, I do care. I'd rather they not be around. They just get in the way at times. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what is man? What are, what, what, what are we, this very insignificant little dots on this very insignificant little planet in this insignificant, you know, galaxy, what is, what is man that you're even mindful of him, God? And intellectually, it wouldn't make sense that the God of the universe would even care about us. Of course, we tend to value the size of something more than the value of something. 
the value is not determined by our size. But we are valued because we are created in his image. But it's still mind-boggling. Or the son of man that you take care of him. You made him a little lower than the angels. Now when he uses the term son of man, the Hebrews would immediately reflect to the book of Daniel where Daniel refers to the coming Messiah as the son of man. So they, you could even put it in here. Well, he's talk, or, the, or the Messiah that you would care about it. You know, or the Messiah that you've made a little lower than the angels. Because what he's telling us is the Messiah is going to be a son of man. In other words, a human being. And yet, he's the creator. What is he given? He's given us insight to the Messiah. And he's given them, showing them that the Messiah who is talked about in the Old Testament is in fact Jesus. But he's been crowned with glory and honor and set over all the works of your hands. Oh God, everything. Jesus, this man, had to because why? You have put all things in subjection under his feet. He's in control. He has everything's his. All is his. For that he... That he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things under him. So everything's his, but you don't see it. Not everything. You see some things. But right, the world is certainly not on. You don't see it as subject to everything under Christ. We wouldn't have the mess that we're in. But we see some things under Christ. What are those things? We have, there's an invasion going on right now, an invasion. And what is happening is the kingdom of darkness in this world is being invaded upon. Now, who is invading? What's the invaders? Who are the invaders? Well, just look across your table. Say it, you are. You are. If you're a follower of Christ, you're an invader in this kingdom. You, you understand that you, every time you, know, you go to work and you share the love of Jesus and you, you share kindness and you, you're forgiving, every time you talk to your neighbor about the goodness of God and you show the testimony of Jesus in your lifestyle, every time you do something that is the kingdom of God exposed, you're invading the kingdom of darkness. That's what you're doing. And this invasion is going on. Someday, the invasion will be complete when Jesus returns. He's going he's to settle everything, and everything will be under his authority. But in the meantime, we are pressing in. Those of us who have this great, great salvation. And we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that, everybody say that. I want you to say that, why? That he, by great, the, the grace of God, might taste death for me. For me. Who's, who's he tasting death for? Me. Yeah. He's tasting death for me. He had to be made a little lower than the angels. So he could taste death for me. But that doesn't mean he's less than the angels. 
And that's what the writer is saying. Oh, no. He's God of God. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. Don't underestimate what an incredible gift he's given you. Glory in his salvation. The Bible says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life eternal. It's a free gift for everyone. The fact that you have it is the most valuable thing in the world. The, fa the fact that you can share it, that it's truth to others, is the most valuable gift you can give in this world. So let's do that. Let's pray. If you're here in this room or you're online and you're watching and you've not given your life to Christ, you've not accepted his free gift of salvation, the gift is there. It's kind of sitting underneath the Christmas tree kind of thing and all you have to do is open it. It's yours if you want it. If you don't, that's your choice too. I would urge you, I would do anything to help you to find that salvation. I think it's so important. But each person has to make that decision on their own. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he conquered death for you so that you could stand before God in his righteousness and not your own. And if you would like that, you can pray a simple prayer. The prayer actually don't, won't save you, but if you pray this prayer and mean it, the faith that you are expressing will. And so you simply can say this, Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth died for my sins as the prophets predicted was buried and conquered death and Jesus I ask you because you conquered death that you would forgive me of my sins cleanse my soul and help me to follow you from now on I surrender my life to you and I surrender any of my own abilities to try to build up or, or make myself good enough for salvation. Instead, I trade all that in for what you did for me, and I rest my soul in the finished work that you did on the cross when you died for my sins. I thank you, God, for eternal life. I ask you to help me to follow you. From now on, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, um, I want to encourage you, if you, if you did that here or online, um, let us know. Go to our website, ccanaheim.com, and, and uh, there's, there's some information there. You can let us know that you became a Christian. We'll send you some information, get you started in your walk with God. And uh, we all, all obviously also want to just pray for you and cover you in prayer. Okay? Well, church, you ready to worship the Lord? I, I do need to make mention we're not going to uh, hand out the offering buckets as we would normally do. Um, but there are boxes near the doors 
that if you want to put in your gift, you can do that. And I do want to thank all of you during this whole time, those of you who have consistently given online to keep us going. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, many of you, I know even in challenging times, that even had to drop some of your, your giving because your income dropped, but you kept what you could. And uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. It's, it's kept us going so far. And uh, we still have the challenges, but I, I just only want to say thank you. Okay? Let's worship the Lord. You want to stand? You can stand. You don't have to. You can remain seat, seated. You've been seated long enough, probably. <laughs> let's, um, let's lift our voices to the Lord.
Have a great week. We'll see you here on Wednesday or Sunday.